Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Now chapter 12 is, a, is really just a summary, and we're literally just going to read through it with very little commentary. And then when we get into chapter 13 through chapter 22, we're going to be talking about the partitioning of the land and the cities of refuge and those kinds of things. But this chapter is a link right in the center of the whole thing to just kind of bridge these two different passages. And it's really nothing more than a cataloging of what God had done through the children of Israel. Welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes this series with the summary of the kings conquered by Moses and Joshua. The scripture begins by saying, These are the kings of the land that the children of Israel defeated. The list that's given only seems to be tedious to us because we don't live in the land. For those who received their inheritance there, these were essential matters that touched everyday life answering the question, what land belongs to Israel? And now, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 12, and follow along with Pastor Rob. In the land of Canaan. And in fact, in, if, if we were to look at, um, again, this is just very brief here, uh, if we were to look at Goliath, who we saw, who was uh, uh, from Gath, we see that uh, the, the foundation of these giants goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, where it talks about there were giants in the land, and the giant means Nephilim. These are the fallen ones. And it's also recorded for us in Numbers 13, verse 33. And it also goes on and tells us that uh, Arba was actually the father of Anak, this progenitor of people. And the people that were born from, these, from a- Anak were called Anakim, because whenever you put I-M at the, at, at the end of any, any name, it means plural, so Anakim. And Goliath very well could have come from this race of giants. There were a, a couple of different races of giants that could have come from the Nephilim or could have come from Arba, because there's nothing really solid about where they branched off. Uh, but there were different giants that the Bible talks about, the Avim, the Rephaim, the Zamzumim, the Emim, all of these different races of giants, and at some point, Goliath came into that, into that line because he was of the race of giants, race of giants. But because Israel did not continue and fight against, and I would encourage you to read uh, Numbers 13, verses 21 through 33. It talks about the, the, the descendants, and I'll just read verse 33 for you. It was when the spies went into when Moses sent the spies 
early on into the promised land. It says that when they saw the giants, and the word there is Nephilim, literally, these were the descendants of Anak come from the giants. It says, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. And so this Anak came from the giants or these Nephilim. And um, you can look at Joshua chapter 15, too, and it tells us that Arba, who was a very well-renowned giant, a uh, very important giant. He was actually the father of Anak. And so you can, you can see, you can put together somewhat of a, a skeleton of the, some of these geneal- a genealogy of some of these giants. But I want you to notice something, the consequence of not following through. You see, as a result, Saul and David had to deal with this problem over 400 years later. Because Joshua, now it's interesting because God doesn't say that they, they only did part of the job. He, he, he accomplished everything that was necessary. But here's the thing. The, the people who were mainly at fault were those who inherited the land after these battles had, uh, that failed to finish the campaign against those remaining Canaanites. You've you got to understand that the really big cities were taken care of. Those are the ones that God brought them in, and there was complete annihilation. Now you just had these small pockets of people, which were really shouldn't have been a real problem, so that when the children of Israel finally did partition the land and they got into their inheritance, they were supposed to drive those stragglers out or kill them, right? That was the intention, but what happened? What does history tell us? They didn't drive them out. They didn't drive them out. Instead, they made leagues with them. They intermarried with them. They made friends with them, and they thought, well, they're not so bad. Well, they might not have been so bad, but God's decision to have them destroyed was something he wanted you to do. See, when we start thinking better than God, that's where we get into the problem. And it's hard. It really is hard. And see, this is the result of not dealing with even sin in our own lives. See, we, we, we let it go, we let it go, and what happens? It comes back to bite us. We, we are not to coddle and love our sin. We are to crucify it. What does Romans 8 tell us? See, we can learn some of these lessons. The Bible says that these things are written for our nurture, for our admonition, for our instruction. They're written there for a reason, so that we can learn from these mistakes that, that the Israelites made. Because whoever that people group would be, it could have been the Italians, it could have been the Irish, it could have been the Germans, it could even have been the Italians, probably not, but um, it could have been any people group, they would have all done the same thing. They would have all faltered at some point. If Adam and Eve hadn't have sinned, certainly Cain and Abel would have sinned. Actually, Adam and Eve, it wouldn't have been long before they were confronted with something else and they would have fallen into sin. But what does it say in Romans? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We're to crucify those old things. If we don't take care of them now, we are going to suffer in the future. That's always the way sin works. We can either deal with it now, and, 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 and it's going to be difficult. But if you deal with it now, the dividends of that is going to spare you a great deal of pain and heartache down the road. Because once you let it go, all of a sudden more people get involved, there's a greater majority of people getting hurt, and your sin is becoming more and more a part of you, so much so that it becomes harder and harder. You become like Pharaoh where your heart gets so hard against the conviction of the Spirit of God that there comes a point where you don't want to do it anymore. You just say, fine, you know, I enjoy this too much. I've been doing this for so long, and you know, I, I've been convicted so much that now my heart is seared. Do you know what that means? It means that it's like a steak on a grill. Sorry to use a steak, but it's the only thing I can think of. That thing is nice and juicy, and you put that thing on a high grill 
when it's on high, and what does it do? It seals the juices. It seals it. That's what it does. When you got that sinful heart, you want that to come out. You don't need it to be seared. Once you're seared, that stuff just stays inside of you, and it's like a cancer. And it just continues and continues until your life is completely shipwrecked. And like we talked about last Sunday, you might have a, uh, having a sin unto death. You may be involved in sins unto death or sins not unto death that maybe just take, it's going to take a little time. But you may be involved in heinous things where God has to put an end to your life to save the spirit, to save your soul before you go any further. These things happen, and it's pretty scary. That's why we should never play, be footloose and fancy with sin. As soon as it beca- you become aware of it, you need to crucify it. You need to turn from it. What does it say in Colossians chapter 3? Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, Passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. You are also to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another. But then in verse 10 he says, Now put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Jew nor Greek nor circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what, what color your skin is. We have to put off things and put things on. We have to take a serious look at those things. And, and, and it's very relatable to what we just read in, in, in here in Joshua because they did a half job and especially when they came into the land and they began to divide up the land, which we're going to see as we get into chapter 13 uh, next week. They started to parcel the land, and they were supposed to continue to drive out the inhabitants. They were supposed to continue to drive out those little small pockets of people. The big work had been done. This should not have been really easy for them. shouldn't have been a big deal, but they just didn't want to do it. And they suffered the consequence They suffered the consequence. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it to, as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And then the land rested from war. Now again, it doesn't mean that everything was done. They still had work to do. But the larger cities had been conquered. And now it was just a cleanup operation. Just a cleanup operation. Let's go ahead and read Joshua chapter 12. And again, Joshua chapter 12 is really the link up to this point. Verse, or chapters 1 through 11 have been battles. And now chapter 12 is, a, is really just a summary. And we're literally just going to read through it with very little commentary. And then when we get into chapter 13 through chapter 22, we're going to be talking about the partitioning of the land and the cities of refuge and those kinds of things. But this chapter is a link right in the center of the whole thing to just kind of bridge these two different passages. And it's really nothing more than a cataloging of what God had done through the children of Israel, through Moses, when he was still alive along the eastern side of the Jordan River, Remember the, the tribe of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh? They, they conquered those kings, the Og king of Bashan and uh, the other king, Sion. And then after Moses died, then it was Joshua that led them over the Jordan into Jericho and then conquered those central Israel, the southern part of Israel, and then finally the north part of Israel. 
And then after all that was done, Joshua would pass from the scene, and then they would start dividing and getting into those lands, and they were supposed to continue to drive out the heathen, those wicked folks, but they did not, history tells us. So let's just read it. Verses 1 through 6 really speak of those kings and cities conquered by Moses before he died in the book of Deuteronomy. We read about that. And then uh, verses 7 through 24 are those kings and cities conquered by Joshua. So let's just read through it. It's really just a catalog. So it says, These are the kings of the land, and then we'll take uh, communion together. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun. Where does the sun rise? It rises in the east. Think of a map. East of Jordan, on the east side. They conquered all that land, right? They possessed on the other side of Jordan toward the rising of the sun, the east side, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon all the way in the north, and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and he ruled half of Gilead from Eroror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is in the border of the Ammonites. Verse 3, And the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinnereth, or the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, or the Dead Sea. The road to Beth uh, Jeshimoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan. He was way up north, up there underneath the Mount Hermon in that area, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, noticed, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edrei. And, the, and they reigned over, and reigned, I'm sorry, over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over Bashan, as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Maacathites, and over half of the Gilead to the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had captured. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession, notice, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Remember, because they had many herds. They were very content with being on the eastern side. They're like, we don't want to go in. We're very happy and content here. And God told them through Moses, if you guys are going to take this land, you've got to help your brothers get over and get settled in their land. And once that is all accomplished, then you can come back and inhabit that land. And they they were faithful to do that, which is a good thing. So verse 7, And these are the kings of the country which Joshua now, the children of Israel, conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west side, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak and the ascent of Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions, in the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And here he lists the kings that were conquered. The king of Jericho won. And and we've already heard this, because this is part of the campaign that was in the central part. The king of Jericho, the king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, won. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Jarmuth won. The king of Lachish won. And I'm just going to read the kings. The king of Eglon, the king of Gezer. These were old guys. The king of Gezer. Their land called Gezer, just a bunch of, it's a geriatric city. I'm glad somebody laughed. Thank you, Al. You're such a blessing. The king of Hormah, the king of Arad, the king of Libna, the king of Adullam, the king of Machidah, the king of Bethel, the king of Tapua, the king of Hefer, the king of Aphek, the king of Lasharon, the king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of Shimron, Meron, one, the king of Ashphath, the king of Teanach, 
the king of Megiddo, the king of Kedesh, the king of Jokneam in Carmel, the king of Dor in the heights of Dor one, the king of the people of Gilgal, which is a different Gilgal, by the way, than where Israel had camped on the uh, as soon as they crossed over Jordan, that was a campground that they had, had, had used as their main uh, staging grounds. This is not that place. This is a different place. And it says, the king of Tirzah won. All the kings, 31 kings. 31 kings. And so that really lists everything that we've seen up to this point from chapters 1 through 11, these battles. Uh, the battles that Moses uh, had uh, given or had been a part of on the east side of the Jordan, and then the kings and the land on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings that were were killed, and the lands that they possessed. And then as we get into chapter 13, we're going to see them now, God telling them. And let me just read to you. It says now, just the first couple of verses of 13, just to kind of whet your appetite. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Can't say that much for you because you're the Ancient of Days and you don't have any wrinkles, but look at these crow's feet in my eyes. This, <laughs> so he, and he says, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all of the Jeshurites from Sihor, which is east of, of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward. And he goes on and talks about the lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. And so even though they had captured all these huge areas, these big cities, now they had to get in there and start dividing up the land, and little by little they were to drive these inhabitants out. Just a small smitter-smattering of people they were to drive out and finish the job. But we know that they never did. And that's part of what happens in Judges. Because of that, they, they allowed these pagan nations to cohabitate with them. And what does that lead to? leads to sin. It leads to idolatry. They started looking at their gods. The young boys started looking at the girls and going, Oy vey. <laughs> well, did you see this little god that my dad made? Oh, really? What's that god? Well, he's the god of the sun, and we can worship him. And the last time I worshipped the god of the sun, I, got, I found this wedge of gold in the sand. And if you do it, maybe the same thing will happen. Oh, great. Next thing you know, they're getting married, having kids, starting to water down what God had done, starting to compromise. And the book of Judges is that. It is the roller coaster of compromise and God judging and dealing with Israel, his own people, and using the the inhabitants of the land to get them into shape. So why don't we, um, at this time, why don't we just, uh, for the sake of time, why don't we just have the, um, if you'd come up and... uh, We'll just, uh, if you could grab the elements and bring them back to your seat, and um, we'll take communion. I don't want to keep you any longer. I know it's been a long night, and I typically like to go long on Thursday nights. So just go ahead and come on up, and uh, we'll take communion together. You know, while you're getting communion, it's, it's a good time to reflect upon your own life, obviously. The, the Bible, you know, as we read it, it's very easy to to think that it's about some other people, that it's about someone else other than me. 
And as we read tonight, you know, I'd encourage you to read that chapter again. Read chapter 11 again and, and go into First uh, Samuel chapter 17 and, and see the ramifications of not being faithful. And most of the Bible is like that. A lot of, uh, you think about the, the problems that Abraham had when God had told him that they were going to have a son. Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. I know you're really old and you're, you know, you're past your childbearing years. You can't have children in, in the natural. And then for Abraham and Sarah to lapse in faith and decide, you know, we can help God out here. We can just go in unto Hagar. We can have children through her. And, and as a result of that, part of the problems that Israel's having to this very day are those kinds of decisions. Because now there's a people group that are in a bitter hatred against them. And so decisions that we make are very important. And so as we read that, read it again tonight and then read First Samuel 17 again and realize that Goliath shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been in that valley of Elah taunting the Israelites, blaspheming their God. He shouldn't have been there had they done what they were, should have been doing. History would have been very different had they been obedient to God. And, and don't think that that's just something for the Israelites. Every decision that we make, and don't be paralyzed by decisions, but, but be thoughtful about everything you do. And that's why this is so important for us tonight as we remember the blood that Jesus shed for us how his body was broken. Do you remember that he's died for every mistake that you've ever made? And he wants to give you newness of life. He wants to make your life even more abundant and more fruitful and, and to be more fruitful. Don't be paralyzed in fear, but submit your heart to him. And even in your mistakes, if we confess, you know what? He's able to get us back on the right path again. So if you've wandered off the path, if you've wandered off the reservation, so to speak, in your own thoughts, in your own ingenuity, in your own whatever, know that you can come back to him. It may take a little more time, but God's not in a big hurry. He's more concerned about your heart. He's more concerned about your life. And he can get you back. And he can put you in the place that he needs you to be. But you've got to be willing and submit your heart to him. The things that you know of that are, that are going on in your heart, even right now tonight, there's things that are going on you're thinking about as we're about to take communion. Think about those things and say, Lord, I don't want to play any games with you anymore. I don't want to be in control anymore. I want to give everything to you, Lord. And even as a Christian, Lord, I've walked many years with you now and, and think that I've got somehow a handle on something. Lord, help me. I'm desperate. I'm desperate, God, for your will to be done today. As a child of God, I ask that you would touch each one of us tonight, Lord. As children of God, that you would touch us, Lord. That you'd help us, give us obedient hearts. To be quick. To acknowledge wrongdoings of our own. And knowing that you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. So as we take this bread and cup, Lord, we do remember what you did on the cross and how you defeated death and hell and every sin of man has been judged on that cross once and for all, never to be repeated again. And so we take this symbolically as, as often as we will in remembrance of you, Lord. And so we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's partake. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.